Today I will be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Again, that's Colossians 3, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit, your, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We have a good number with us this morning. We are so very glad that you're here, and as it's been mentioned, if you are visiting with us, we want you to know how glad we are that you've uh, come our way this morning. We sit here on Veterans Day and as it is, it falls on a Sunday, of course, and as it is, we look and we honor those who have served in our country faithfully in the armed forces, for those who have fought for our freedoms, and I know there are a number of you here in this assembly this morning, we are grateful for you. I don't know what it would take for me to look at my country and say, you know what, I love this place enough that I'm going to go and I'm going to lay down my life. But I appreciate those who have had to make that choice and have had to make that sacrifice in the past. And we are grateful to you. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And you think about the sacrifice, not because you wanted to, but because it was necessary. And I can't help but think on this day that we honor our Lord, that that's exactly what he did. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he did so because it was necessary. We bow together with me for a word of prayer as we begin. Thank you, Father, so much for your great love towards us as demonstrated through your son, Jesus, who, Father, didn't regard his own life, but became obedient even to the point of death and the death on the cross. And, Father, we're thankful so much for our veterans, for those, dear God, that have sacrificed so much and have seen horrible things. Father, so it may be that we can sit here this morning in the air conditioning in a country, Father, that is uh, open towards religious freedoms, recognizing, dear God, that they saw the price that was necessary and they paid it. Some of them with their lives, but Father, some of them with, their, with the way that it is that they behaved, and some of them, Father, because they knew that it was worth it. We're thankful, Father, so much for those who have served, and we're thankful, Father, so much for our veterans. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our lesson is not about Veterans Day, but it's about our homes. It is that 
sometimes home problems are going to face our homes. <laughs> I think about how Sally, Sally's husband, for years denied that he was an aggressive driver. And one day while they were out for a drive, Sally's husband was driving, of course, and uh, Sally turned to her kids who were sitting there in the back seat, and she said, Johnny, what is... Uh, what does daddy say whenever the light's green? He says, let's go. He says, Johnny, what does daddy say when the light's red? It's time to stop. Daddy, uh, Johnny, what does daddy say whenever the light turns yellow? And Johnny in his best daddy impression said, hang on. <laughs> I think about how it is, folks, that for years our families may be in denial that we are families that don't necessarily know how to handle our problems. And how it is when problems come along, we can treat them as just the same way as a yellow light, where we shout to our families, hang on, and hope that this is not the problem that's going to cause us a, a catastrophe and meet with a, a bad end. We can deny that our family has problems, but it is a true statement that where there's people, there's problems. Where there are families made of people, there will be problems. Where there are congregations made of people, there will be problems. As long as the earth stands and as long as the flesh continues to war against the spirit, we can count on the fact, folks, that sometimes there's going to be problems that come into our lives. And yet how we deal with those things, especially at home, is going to say a whole lot about our view of God, but also the view of the people that we're living with in those homes. Think about common ways that we approach our problems. Sometimes it is, especially dads and moms, to pull rank. You're going to do this, and you're going to do it because I said it, and that's all there is to it. And we'll take that and we'll lord it over them, just like Jesus talks about the Gentiles doing there in, in Mark, chapter, Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. And if you use this, problem, this, this approach and consistently trying to deal with those problems, you know what it's going to lead to? It's going to lead to people in guerrilla warfare. It's going to lead to... Families that manipulate and lie and cheat and steal and weasel and, and there's rules that are without relationship and that's just going to lead our children and our spouse to naturally rebel. Sometimes it is that we use the approach in dealing with our problems. You know what? I quit. That's it. I'm done. And you'll shut that person off and you're not going to say anything. Maybe give them the silent treatment. And you think about that and that is a means of manipulation. When I can't get my way any other way, then I can just sulk and I can stew or I can become bitter towards this other person because I'm just going to give up. Well, we think about the way that we deal with problems when we just say, you know what, have it your way. Whatever it is. And if there's a different idea or a different approach and, and you're going to shun that or you're going to go against that, you know, which is fine, whatever. And later on, <laughs> we have an opportunity perhaps that we can get even and we can say, I told you so. I told you that would never work. And so we just throw up our hands and we say, have it your way. Brothers and sisters, God who established the home, God who established that institution of man and wife coming together and then procreating the species and, and coming along, God who established this home is the same God who can sustain your home and my home. And he's the same God that has a purpose for our home where if we have difficulty and we have problems, we can troubleshoot those things in the, in the home because of the God that established it. If God is going to be a part of how we deal with that difficulty, realize this first and foremost. If we are not committed to having God as a part of the solution, it is that we are going to make a bigger mess long term, maybe short term, than we would have had otherwise. 
but putting God at the heart of the solution and realizing that he's got a solution for our home, folks, it's key. It's paramount. Realize a couple of things as we get started. Important scriptures about the home. Beginning in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, where Jesus was giving the greatest dissertation that mankind would ever know on, on one man, one woman for life. Jesus quotes all the way back from the beginning in Matthew 19, 6, and he talks about husband and wife and saying, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Anybody ever try and tear off their arm? Anybody ever try and take their little pinky finger and yank it off of their body? The Lord refers to husband and wife coming together in that marriage relationship as being glued together, bonded together, so much so that this is, an, this is not an individual and this is not an individual, but they are one. They are one flesh. And we've got to realize that, that that's God's purpose and that's God's design. And you've got to imagine that that's part of the reason what makes divorce so horrible. Because nowadays you've taken this one flesh and you're trying to sever it and, and trying to move this away. And of course there's children that are involved. There's, there's property that's involved. There's, there's hearts and emotions and, 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 and intellect that's involved. And all those things that separate cause pain and turmoil that we can't possibly imagine. I think about Joshua 24 and verse 15 as Joshua talked to the children of Israel and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house... What's Joshua doing? Saying, as shepherd of a home, as leader of this family, this is the direction that we are going to take. We're going to honor what God has said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Proverbs 14, verse 1 is interesting. It says, a foolish woman with her hands tears down, or a wise woman, rather, with her house, builds her house with her hands. But the foolish one pulls it down with her hands. You know, people that seem like they're bent on destroying their homes, and destroying the peace that ought to be there in their homes. Wise woman is going to build her house. A foolish woman is going to tear it down with her hands. And Psalm 127 verse 1 is always relevant. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Surely we can see in the rooms of our house, the greatest room that ought to be is the room for improvement. A couple of observations as we get started. Necessary observations about the home. Number one. Brothers and sisters, we've already observed, our homes will face problems. If they are composed of individuals, just like Euodia and Syntyche, and as uh, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and tells these women that it's time to get along, that one time they were working together, co-laborers for the gospel, right alongside of Paul and doing a great job and doing a great work, and for whatever reason, these two women started not getting along. For whatever reason, sometimes it is that our homes can face division, where it is husband and wife or parents and children or children and siblings can't get along. You can realize that that's going to be part of it. Realize this, number two, we've got to deal with these problems. We've got to deal with these problems. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing or in doing good. You know what that tells me? It tells me there is a temptation to want to get tired and doing good and throw up our hands just like we've talked about just a moment ago and say, you know what, I quit. I'm done trying to be nice to that woman. I'm trying to, try to be nice to that man. I'm done trying to be, uh, be kind to those children. We've got to keep on going. I love what Solomon said in Song of Solomon as he writes that beautiful poetic uh, relationship talking about the husband and his bride or the, uh, the man and his wife. And he, he uses metaphorically this in Song of Solomon, verses two, verse, chapter 2, verse 15. He says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Doesn't that describe our relationship sometimes in the marriage? 
that it can just be the little things that build up over time and the little things that add up and add up and add up until it is that there's just this huge explosion where it is that the dishes are piling up in the sink and you're looking at this going, well, when are you going to do the dishes? You know what? It's not about the dishes. There's something behind that. And sometimes those little problems can add up and cannot add up and can add up. But folks, we don't need to let them get to the point where it's an explosion. But dealing with those things along the way can help alleviate those type of outbursts and those type of difficulties. Think about this. The devil is behind these problems. We don't have to wonder who's behind the problems in our home. Isn't it true that the devil is after us? It's true. Isn't it true that the devil wants to destroy our lives and our homes and re-enslave us to him and destroy our relationship with God? Jesus would refer to this in Matthew 13 as he talks about uh, the parable of tares and how it was that while the man slept that the, his enemy came through and sowed tares into the field. Who is the, who is the enemy? He says it's the devil, it's Satan. Whenever Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 7, and 8, he said, Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, this persuasion doesn't come from him who called you. As Job, the great suffering prophet of old, as he sat there in a pile of ashes, scraping himself with a pot shirt, you remember what his wife did? I don't wonder, I wonder if uh, Satan didn't leave his wife alive because he knew the, her character and he knew that she would come along and say, Joe, why are you sitting there with the loss of your children, with the loss of your livelihood, with the loss of your riches? Why don't you just, Job, just curse God and die? Why are you still holding fast to your integrity? Why are you not going to curse God like that? It is that when problems come along, we can recognize the fact that, folks, it's not God who's behind it. It's the devil who's trying to gain advantage on us. But realize this. It is God who stands ready to help us. It is God who holds the solution for our homes and difficulties when we, when we face those things. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Can we boldly say, the Lord is our home's helper? What shall I fear? What shall man do to me? When we face problems and difficulties, we've got to look to the right solution. So it is, general thoughts, important attitudes that we need to have about our problems in the home. Number one, folks, we've got to have a mind to deal with these things scripturally. When issues come up, God's got the solution. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for godliness, for, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped. You know what we've got? We've got every tool in the arsenal that we need. We've got every, every solution that God has to offer for the home, the institution that he established. We have the manual for how to make that something that glorifies him. The scripture reading that was read this morning from Colossians chapter 3, that's a great place to start. To talk about putting on love on the, as a bond of perfection. And then later on, as you mentioned, with it, as Daniel read, dealing with husbands and wives and how husbands and wives deal with children, how children deal with parents. It's there. We just have to realize and we've got to look to the right solution. Realize this, we also need to deal with these problems privately. It does no good 
when there's a problem between me and my wife or my immediate response to go out and tell somebody else about that. And to go and talk to this person, do you know what she did to me? Do you know what the problem was? And all of a sudden, I try and win somebody to my case, and I try and uh, give myself an opportunity to say, yeah, I'm justified in the way I feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm justified in this. You know what the devil's trying to do? He's trying to divide. Parents, you ever have this situation? Your kids are playing, and they're having a good time, and all of a sudden, one of them comes running to you, Mom! <laughs> It's never happened to anybody but me, right? Or, Mom, Dad, let me tell you what he did to me. You know what the first response is? If I turn to Matthew 18 and says, if you have something against your brother, you go and you tell it between him and uh, you and him alone. You know what we can do for our children that can best equip them to deal, start dealing with things biblically and scripturally? Is to say, well, have you talked to your brother about that? Have you talked to your sister about that? Have you told them the way that you may, uh, they made you feel? Here's a word that you can use, or here's a phrase that you can use. You really hurt me whenever you said this. My feelings were hurt. I was hurt physically when you threw that toy at my head. Go and tell it to them, because mom and dad can come and try and get involved themselves, and we can try and solve the problem. But you know what's better is if you teach those children how to solve the problem biblically, you go directly and you tell that person, this is how you hurt me. This is how I felt when you said that to me. And give that child an opportunity or that person an opportunity to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It does no good to shame, to hold the child up in front of the family or trying to, uh, uh, if you're in a disagreement with the child or have the child disagreeing with another, and to just blow up at the, in front of them, in front of everybody, and shame the child, taking them aside and visiting with them privately. That's the spirit of Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, is going privately and taking care of it because that's something that needs to be taken care of. Husbands and wives, it does no good if we shout and scream and argue with one another in front of the children. Those are things and discussions that need to happen somewhere else. So it is our children don't necessarily need to see those things. They need to see mom and dad loving each other, getting along together. Yes, they do. Absolutely. But when there's a disagreement, how we handle those things is going to say a lot about our faith and our God. Realize this. We deal with those things quickly. Ephesians 4 verse 26. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity or give the devil a foothold in our lives. There is urgency in those things. There's an urgency in making those things right. Why is that? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says, Husbands, our prayers can be hindered. If it is that we're not dwelling with our wives according to understanding. It is that Matthew chapter 5 talks about the fact that when we give, bring our gift to the altar, talking about coming into worship, and he says there, you remember you have ought against your brother. He says, leave your gift there, go and make your, uh, make your way and make it right with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It means that relationships can affect our relationship with God. If we don't have the right relationship with one another, it's going to affect the relationship that we have with God. And as always, folks, we've got to realize that sin is looking for an occasion to take advantage of us. Cain, after it was that he had offered something that was unpleasing to God, Genesis chapter 4, God said, Cain, sin's crouching at the door and its desire is for you. I wonder how many of us have never thought about that in terms of us and our attitudes towards our spouse or towards our children or towards our parents Sin is there. It's crouching at the door. It's ready to spring. We need to take care of these things quickly. We need to take care of these things wisely. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding. My own understanding says, you know what? When my wife wrongs me, it's probably best to just stonewall her, to just cut her off until it is that she knows the grievance and then she can make it right. That's not what God's wisdom says. You know what my wisdom says is I need to act on those angry feelings and I need to just blow up at her whenever she does me wrong and I just need to create World War III because I know that after it's all over it's going to have some kind of unsettled peace and unsettled peace is better than no peace at all. That's not what God's wisdom says. I want to look down the course of an action and I want to realize that in dealing with husbands and wives or dealing with my children, folks, we're in it for the long term. That's what wisdom has to deal with. That means that how I approach this problem right now, how I come at this child or how I come at my spouse is going to affect the long term of that decision or the way that I handled that problem. So it is. Do you come with fighting, with angry words? What's going that person going to do? They're going to fold their arms and say, well, really? And next thing you know, you're out for a rough weekend or a rough day. But it is coming and approaching with wisdom. Letting your speech be with, uh, with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians chapter 4. Realize we need to face these problems prayerfully. Prayerfully. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James 5. Proverbs 15, verse 8, the prayer of the upright is God's delight. Ephesians 3, 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we would ask or think. Romans 4, verse 21, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. He was able to perform. Men ought to always pray, Jesus said, or uh, Jesus uh, taught. Men ought to always pray and never lose heart. You know, sometimes in our families, it's the exact opposite. Sometimes we never pray and we always lose heart. Instead, what God says is you ought to always pray, even about the little things, those little grapes or those foxes that might spoil the vine. The little problems that you have, uh, that you think, yes, I can handle this, I can handle this, I can handle this. Give those things over to God, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. It makes a difference. Always pray, never lose heart. We need to deal with these things humbly. We need to deal with our problems humbly. An attitude of humility. Obadiah 3, Obadiah is speaking to those Edomites who had made their homes in the rocks and the crags, and they're up there in their pride saying, who's going to bring us down? You ever been thought you were on the right side of an issue when you came and started a fight with your wife or your husband and discovered all of a sudden you're not on the right side? How do you handle that? Well, she, she was still wrong, even though she was right. He was still wrong, even though he was right. There's a humility that has to be there in order for us to have the right attitude and the right solutions. Last one, we need to deal with these things compassionately. Compassionately. 1 Corinthians 16, and verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Let have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So it is. When we face problems, folks, these attitudes must be present in order for us to come to a solution that honors and pleases God. What practically do we need to do for this? Specific actions. Number one, always remember that your quote-unquote opponent is somebody that you dearly love. Your opponent is somebody that you dearly love. 
Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. Titus chapter 2, verse 4, the older women are to admonish the young women to love their husbands and love their kids, love their children. Your opponent is somebody that you dearly love. The devil's desires that husbands and wives can be shooting at each other and have the kids be the collateral damage or have the kids shooting at the parents. But folks, we're all in this together. In God's ideal for the home, we're all together and we're all fighting a common enemy. It's not any one of us, but we're all on the same side. But divide and conquer is a relevant military strategy that the devil uses against us, and he wants to divide our homes because you know why? It's easier to pick us off whenever we're individuals. If we stand strong together and say, we're going to serve the Lord in this home, Joshua 24, verse 15, we're going to stay together, the devil's not going to stand a chance when we're resolved to do things God's way. Your opponent is somebody you dearly love. Realize this, we need to be more intent on fixing the problem than on fixing the blame. There's a problem in our home. Who did it? Who was it? Own up. Come on, who is it? Who's responsible for this? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you you chose to make that choice. I can't believe that we can make a person feel about that small, can't we? Pretty easily with our words. We can make a person feel like the lowest worm on the face of the earth. But you know what? We're no closer to fixing the problem. It may make us feel good just for a moment, even though we've made that other person feel horrible. I refer back to principle number one. Remember your opponent, somebody you dearly love. But when we look and we say, we've got this problem. We've got to deal with this in this way, in an honor, a God-honoring way, a way that's going to give God the glory and a way that's going to help us through this difficulty. Let's look at the problem. Let's not look at fixing the blame. Let's look at the problem and let's work on that together as a family. Be more intent on fixing the problem than the blame. You know, Genesis 3 is the initial aspect of this. God comes and he says to the man, what is this you've done? The man says, well, it's the woman that you gave me. The woman says, God says to the woman, what have you done? And she says, well, it's the serpent. We try and pass the blame. We try and fix the blame. But we never really look at the problem and say, what can we do about this? Number three. Refuse the temptation of assigning motives. Refuse the temptation of assigning motives. We talked about this briefly in Bible class this morning, that it is Jesus that only really ever knew what was in the heart of man, John 2, verse 24 and 25. It's only Jesus that's able to see directly into each one of us and into our hearts and into our minds and realize what the motive was behind those actions. You ever thought, this person did this just to spite me? This person did this just to get under my skin. And this person did this just to make me feel bad. And you know what? I'm going to be. And then all of a sudden you have that person come to you and say, you know what? I made this mistake and I did this. And this was the result. You've been completely wrong about motives. I have. You ever tried to assign motives wrongfully? I have. But folks, if we look and we think the best about people, if we think about loving that person and say, you know what, love's going to give the benefit of the doubt, he, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love's not going to think any evil, I'm going to think the best about this person until they prove me otherwise, folks, we're in a position where we can best solve that problem to the glory of God. We get in trouble when we try and assign motives. We get in trouble when we try and read the thoughts and intents of somebody's heart. All we can see is the outward action. And that's an occasion where we can go to this person and say, honey, I know, I see that this was done. 
and I, I, you might have just made a mistake with this. Can you help me with this? That's going to get a whole lot farther than going to that person and saying, I can't believe that you did this. Approach is everything. Number next, learn to commend before you condemn. Learn to commend before you condemn. Preacher used this one time with an all-white screen and put a little black dot right in the middle of it. And he said, what do you see? What are you looking at? Remember, he said, well, I look at the dot. What about all the white that you see there on the screen? Why is nobody looking at the white? Because it's easiest to see the dot. Pollyanna said, if you look for the bad, you're going to surely see it. We have a, a tendency as people to want to just focus in on the one little thing. Doesn't matter how much good this person's done or how much good this family's done. We want to focus on that one little thing that just gets under our skin. And yet Jesus, even when he was rebuking five of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and verse 3, you know what he did? He started off with commendations to tell them, you're doing well in this area, but I have this against you. That's a business practice. Did you know that? Of where people say that if you're going to offer some kind of criticism, you offer in a sandwich. You tell that person, thank you so much for all that you're doing in this area. I'm so grateful. Here's something that I see that we need to work on. But thank you so much for everything that you've done. Doesn't that soften the effect of that criticism, that difficulty that you're going to have to deal with? If it is that you start off with something good and then proceed to whatever's not so good and then you just come back to it. It makes a difference. Learn to commend. Where can I see the good? Does my spouse know that what's going to come out of my mouth is going to be good? If not, I need to check my speech. Number next, refuse the temptation to get others involved. Refuse the temptation to get others involved. There may be actually an occasion for that. Again, referring back to Matthew 18. But if I have the tendency to want to go and try and tell all my friends about how mean or horrible my husband's been or how mean and horrible my wife has been or worse yet I go and I try and tell my parents how mean that son-in-law has been or how mean that daughter-in-law has been I am not doing myself justice but I'm not doing any favors for my spouse in the eyes of my friends in the eyes of my in the eyes of their in-laws you know why that argument can be long gone that argument can be way, way over but if I've gone to my mom and told her how awful my wife has been, you know what's still going on in my mom's mind? How awful my wife has been and how she's bad for me. There is a reason why God said, so shall a, mother, uh, a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two become one flesh. There is a separation that needs to occur between parents and children because those children need to learn to stand on their own two feet and husbands and wives need to learn to lean on one another and they cannot do it if the in-laws are in present and active within that life of those people. We've got to be very, very careful about getting other people involved. We need to avoid name-calling at all costs. This should stand on its own. Once a trust is damaged, it's hard to repair. When we try and call names and assign motives, it's never going to end well. And we need to be the mature enough to take the first step towards reconciliation. Be mature enough to take the first step towards reconciliation. You know who I can look at for this example? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
When I was lost in my sins, when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, when I was in a helpless state, unable to remedy and repair the damage that had been done by my sin, you know who stepped in and took the first step towards reconciliation? It was God the Father. Brothers and sisters, the best thing we can do in our homes is be mature enough to imitate God, to be godly and going to that person and saying, we've got this problem. We've got this issue that we need to work on. Let's work on it together. We're in this together. I'm here. I love you more than anything. And we're going to continue going through this. But I don't want you to think that you're in this by yourself, that we're fighting one another. Let's go to God together and let's find the solution. Brothers and sisters, that's a home that has lasting power. That's a home that has staying power. Regardless of when that home faces problems, you can know that they're going to come through it because they are dedicated to one another. It is said one out of two homes ends in divorce. I would imagine the statistics are probably leaning more towards two out of two lead toward divorce. I don't know what the precise number is, but you know why that is? Is because the devil's done his job well in creating problems in the home that people look at and say these are insurmountable. And so for irreconcilable differences, for problems that we can't just get through, you know what, I'm going to cut ties, I'm going to start a brand new life. Can I tell you the truth of the matter? When you have a home that honors God the way that it ought to, and when you have a husband that loves that wife the way he ought to, and the wife that loves her husband the way she ought to, Divorce is never going to be a word in their vocabulary. That's the way God designed it. And we do ourselves a disservice when we look outside of his plan for the solution. It is God's will that all of us have homes that exemplify the spirit of Christ. Where they're full of joy and love and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. All of these qualities of following after the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and letting the Spirit dwell in our lives through wisdom, and recognizing that we're trying to have the attitude and actions of Christ. That's a home, brothers and sisters, we're going to be glad to go to. That's a home that God's going to bless no matter what problems and difficulties come along. Maybe it is that your home isn't like that. Maybe it is that you need help with how it is that your home is functioning. There's no shame in asking for help. There's no shame in asking for strength from Christian brothers and sisters. And that's why we're here, brothers and sisters, is to encourage one another and edify one another and to help one another along with those things. But maybe it is that you feel like there's problems that are beyond repair. Will you please let somebody know about it so we can encourage you and we can help you? Maybe it is that you as an individual have been struggling with some of these things. Maybe it is that you as an individual have been struggling with things that we haven't dealt with this morning. Again, use this opportunity, use these opportunities where you can grab a strong brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you, I appreciate who you are, I'm dealing with this problem. I need help with this, and let us help you. Maybe it is this morning that you're ready to obey the gospel. You're ready in name the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior to repent of your sins, turn from them, and realize that you've got to go God's way for the rest of your life because that's the only way that's going to save. Maybe it is you're ready to be immersed into water for the forgiveness of your sins. We stand ready to help you no matter what as we stand and sing our invitation song.